Welcome back to another episode of the Exterminatus Podcast, all things competitive in the world of Warhammer 40,000. My name is Eric, with me is my co-host Ray. Hi. And my co-host Robert. Hello. And we are back after our first inaugural running of this particular event. We just completed this weekend. Uh, really good turnout. It's an overall uh, probably one of the smoothest large events that we've run in quite some time. It was just a joy, a new venue, and um, I learned a lot just uh, seeing kind of a new vantage point of the meta, and it's interesting when you see it actually played on the tables. Uh, how about you guys? How was your overall experience? How about you go first, Ray, because this is your first big tournament in a long time. It, it... It was very enjoyable. Um, very interesting venue. I've, I've gotten so used to like going to events at either game shops or like very close to where I, uh, where I am. I kind of get used to a, a certain setup. So the the venue was very interesting. Um, I was amazed at how much space there was. I no bump. How have I heard people put it? Bumping butts. <laughs> Um, Don Hussein cries foul at no butt bumping. <laughs> and the terrain looked amazing. I was, there, there were some tables I looked at. I was really tempted to take the terrain home with me. <laughs> hey, 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 slap your wrist. Don't do that. I didn't. <laughs> no unpainted terrain at this tournament. Yeah, for sure. Uh, there was yeah, a lot of, a lot of effort went into that ultra scorched earth as well. And, um, but just really, you know, laying out the the new venue is really neat. Uh, it's actually a kind of a sports complex. Yeah. And uh, while we were having our event, I think there was a softball tournament, a volleyball tournament, the usual Saturday league soccer, and something at least another event, I think a basketball event, all at the same time. And he never would have known there was so much room and space. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, the other thing I really liked about the venue is all those TV screens. I really want to find. We were like we had like a running uh, our schedule, so everybody knew. Okay, when when do I need to be back and all that. But it, I think uh, next time if we can add a little bit more to those video screens, make them a little more interactive. Uh, the idea originally was to put the streaming table up there so people could watch. But um, uh, kind of our first event, we didn't. We want to kind of keep it as simple as possible and see how everything worked. But uh, yeah, ton of room. I mean, easily we could have doubled the size and we still would not be bumping butts. So it was, it was really nice. I was really excited about that. Now, it would get close to bumping butts because of the fact that at that point, if you were to double the number of tables, you would, could turn sideways and reach out and give your opponent a back scratch, but that's as close as you could get. <laughs> yeah, but there's, uh, we're trying to look at that as I was doing my rounds. Like, okay, if we put a row of tables here. I think the other thing I like, and I, I am definitely guilty of this at the other tournaments I've run, is sometimes because you're trying to maximize space, you've got that like long row. So there's like six tables. So like, you know, somehow you're in the middle table and you're like, oh, my bottle's on the other side. Let me come around and you have to walk like half the venue <laughs> to get to the other side of the table. Yeah. So none of that at this particular event. So that was pretty cool. Oh, and yeah. one more thing. I'm sorry, real quick. I have to give high praise on was your little... Uh, stands that said the table number but also I'll point out what the terrain was and the special rules with it so appreciative that came in very handy with quite a few rules uh, rulings as well so 
yeah, it's so picture if you're like, when you went to the restaurant, you know, you have that little stand that shows you what today's specials are, or there's a drink special with happy hour or something like that. We bought a whole bunch of those. And then it has each of the table numbers. And then it has a picture of each of the terrain pieces that are on that particular table with their keywords. Uh, there was one instance particularly, uh, the one player was like, well, I don't know what, I don't see this piece of terrain in the packet. And I'm like, well, let's take a look here. And I hold up the thing. And he goes, oh, I never even thought to look at that thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> you, you wouldn't. But if you happen to take a glance at it and notice it, it's great. Yeah. So that was. Yeah. It was definitely a nice extra bit of ease where you can always look in and see what you had on the table. Because I know there was one game I played against Chaos Knights. We'll get into that later. Where there was no dense terrain on the board. So it was like, oh, well, okay. So I'm always hitting on twos, and he's always hitting on threes. So the only piece of dense cover that I have is my banner. <laughs> Hold it. Cuddle it. <laughs> but um, there is one thing that I did catch from one person going around the event. And for those of you that did go and that do listen to this, hopefully soon, you should be receiving an email with a feedback form. Get being able to give your opinions to both Eric and Matt to review on what you would think would need to be fixed or improved. So I know for me, if the table numbers could have been a little bit larger, like on one side of it, so you had all the terrain stuff on one side and then you had the table number on the other, that probably would have helped a little bit because a lot of times you had to kind of Walk up to a table, look around, and go. Oh, God dang it! <laughs> that's good. To but know. that's a, but that's a, more of a minor logistical thing because once you figured out the number pattern, how it snaked through the building, you could generally figure out where your table was. I would know because I started all the way at the bottom table <laughs> for round one. <laughs> that was fun. That was some of uh, that table had some prototype style uh, terrain for. Some of the newer models. Uh, what'd you think of that? Uh, I'm trying to remember which terrain set was on there. Was it, it the still Adeptus Mechanicus, but it had some smaller ruined boxes as opposed to uh, the bunch of larger ones we've had on some of the other tables. Oh, those those boxes were really neat because I think the the table I was on for round six had boxes of roughly the same size, and yeah. I was still able to hide <laughs> you're now no one's gonna believe this. I was able to hide almost an entire custodes army behind a stack of crates. <laughs> well it's only like eight models, right, in your army? Semantics. it's more like nineteen. It somehow you have seventy eight wounds in those nineteen models, so Shh. We don't ask questions. <laughs> now it's pretty cool. All, all around, like, the train really came out nice. Uh, I was really excited with it, and um, so overall, I had a lot of positive feedback about that. We did do player place terrain, which really had a, a big effect on the overall uh, play and design space of that as well. So, no, I'm excited. I think it really is going to set a new precedent for our local tournaments that this is what the table should look like so. yeah and i know normally with the player place terrain people are used to doing it 
six inches between obscuring and then four inches between everything else, which can make it kind of weird sometimes if you have odd-shaped forests. I know for our event, the one change because all of our buildings had a solid inch square on the outside of the building, which count for line of sight stuff. You only had to do it four inches away because you have an inch on each building, so it automatically spaces it out to six. Yeah, the spaces were because yeah, yeah, because in one practice game I had with Matt, he was like, "Oh yeah, no, we're doing four inches at the event because of this reason." I went, "Okay, yeah, that can totally make sense." As I was trying to walk my gigantic abominant who has a 12 inch hitbox, just kind of like, hmm, <laughs> how do I fit between this building? <laughs> so that was pretty cool. Are you a gamer that has more bare plastic than you have time to paint? Do paintbrushes spontaneously combust when you hold them? If either of these is true, contact White Crow Studios and get your models painted by a college trained professional painter. You can contact Bo at whitecrow.commissions at gmail.com and view his previously painted models at White Crow Studios on Facebook. Hey listeners, this is Raymond with the Extreme Honest Podcast here to talk to you about KR cases. If you're like me and you're constantly looking for that better way to store your armies, then look no further than KR cases. That's right, this is the foam company known for their soft blue foam in cardboard cases. They're a great way to mix and match whenever you're heading out for that next tournament. You can just swap out those boxes and no need to worry about switching the foam in and out. They're sturdy. The boxes help protect your models and if you when you order, they come fast, the order is right, and for a better price than the other guy. So go to krcases.com and when you place your order, be sure to mention the Extermination Podcast. Any other observations you guys noticed from the weekend? Uh, for me, the I know the venue was trying to supply was trying to supply chairs and table chairs and tables as much as possible. People were <laughs> crowding chairs at tables because <laughs> I know first round I actually didn't have a chair at my table for the entire round. Yeah, the disappearing chair thing was that was I. I... I think a good chunk of my steps were just relocating chairs back to tables that needed them. Well, I think that that's something to be expected because when people have a chance, they're going to congregate and they're going to grab chairs because they're going to want to sit down. And I mean, short of having like a dozen ta- chairs at each table, it's going to happen no matter what. Yep. But overall, the event is a solid nine out of 10. At least in my book, yeah. aside from the minor logistical things. And those things can easily get buffed out with simple changes. Yeah, that's a pretty easy to stand for. Uh, for me, from a judging standpoint, uh, there were three things that really leaped out at me. And one thing that is true to form is that I have to make a controversial ruling over the weekend. And sooner or later, it'll hit social media. And last time I had to do this during Scorched Earth, it hit social media. I got raked over the coals by a very prominent member of the uh, community. And then that Monday, Games Workshop steps up with a new FAQ and proves that uh, I was indeed right with the ruling. This time around, uh, they actually eliminated the ruling altogether. 
So uh, by far the biggest, most frequent question or most frequent ruling have to do with the two inches of engagement range when you're in area terrain. And uh, that came up by far the most. I'd say 40% of all my judges rulings had to do with that one rule. Well, guess what? It's gone. <laughs> yep. As of this morning, they just went, and this complicates the game. We're going to make it go away. But so we're I not going to tell anybody explicitly that we're doing that. No. You have to read the whole packet yeah. and hope you remembered there was this crater there. <laughs> yeah. It was... So... The benefit of that going away is one armies can now actually hide inside buildings again for like very elite armies. So my custodes with three or four guys can be 1.2 inches or something like that away from the wall and go, nah, nah, boo, boo. You can't fight me. Uh, but the trade off of the negative is that it works in the same direction. So knights and other vehicle heavy armies that want to charge their vehicles into units to try and tie them up can no longer go oh you're less than two inches away from the wall bonk <laughs> and be able to tie up units in combat so at that point it's there are some good and there are some bad but overall i think what's going to happen is it's going to shuffle the game back to like closer quarters because sometimes with that two inch engagement range people could do really really janky stuff like the entire thing of oh we pile in we stay an inch and a half away from you we fight you we kill you and we consolidate by staying outside of an inch so you don't get to fight that kind of thing is dumb yeah it's all gone so it was yeah, several controversies throughout the the week. I wouldn't call them controversy, just difficult rulings, and um, kind of got through it. But uh, the other, from a rule standpoint, a lot of my other questions, you know, I was really surprised because I would say it was a very veteran crew uh, in terms of the players we had, but even players who I would know identify themselves as veteran competitive players, really is. Uh, had basic questions about the mission pack and something we talked about at dinner with all the with the new mission pack every six months do players really have enough time to learn the missions and when you really break it down if you're a schmo who plays two games a week at your local hobby store that's eight games a month you may not have played every you've not played every mission in the book yet and -hmm. assuming you didn't play any duplicates you may may take you two months to play everything once um, the season's only six months long so uh, unless you're a regular tournament goer you, you may not learn how to do some of these missions which was pretty evident with some of the questions I was getting yeah because I know on in my third round or my fourth round let me double check here yeah my fourth <laughs> round my fourth round, it came up where I had to remember for both me and my opponent that Corrupted Ground was the mission rider where if you held an objective in No Man's Land, you got two points. If you destroyed an objective on it, you got an extra three or something like that. It was my opponent was never remembering that. So me keeping track of it for both of us 
got really tedious because every single time I would say, oh, and you got two points for corrupted ground. He would go, what? And I go, mission writer. Right. It was a lot of questions like that. You know, little things. Hey, how does this work? Uh, the, uh, I forgot the name of it. Uh, Ruin their relics, I think it's called. Destroy their relics. Bring down their relics. It's the one with the bring bombs. Down, uh, bring down, tear down their icons. Tear down their icons. That's the one. Um, the whole bomb thing was... Mm-hmm trying to explain that to a couple of players. I was like, well, it's, it felt weird because I was like, well, let me read the mission to you. And they're like, oh, okay. I mean, it's like, why couldn't you read it yourself? But no, it worked out. But it's just interesting. This was, These missions are so complicated at this point, but they are fun. It's just interesting that how many players are still needing more practice time with them. So, Yeah, because I know most of my games, the mission, the bonus primary never really came up until it was oh I did this but I didn't need to because I already maxed out primary whoopsie daisies hmm. like we in because we went 11 12 13 and then you have sanctuaries nope we didn't play that one because everyone hated that one apparently so yeah when we went through conversion so mission 22 the one with corrupted ground. The this thing never really came up because we were all we were only fighting off of one objective, and no, and I only remembered it. Whereas going through the scouring, I had a game on that one, and I only remembered to do the mission primary once. And I had already maxed out my primary in three turns. <laughs> So it was a, okay, I don't need to do this. It's dumb. And the third observation, because it was also the first week of uh, football season. And um, as I'm looking at the scores and I'm comparing that to the football scores coming across, is there such thing as playing defensive 40K? Yes. I guess I'm going to need some clarification on that because I'm always aiming to be the big bully because Necrons and Knights and Custodes and... <laughs> so it seemed like everybody's army is tuned to score... The max, basically maximize score. I will score 100 points. That's that's the goal. And then hopefully my opponent will score less than what I scored. Whereas when I'm saying defensive 40k is my army is designed to make sure you don't score points. And I'll try the win mission, say, 40 or 50 to 30 or something like that. Oh, so you mean the entire concept of my custodes list where I only give up 10 points for assassinate, 6 points for no prisoners, and 6 points for bring it down. And that's all you got. That's one thing. You do see it. Okay. So yeah, it does start in list construction. Good. Okay. Also, I just brought as many big guns as I could fit into a list. So... <laughs> But yeah, that kind of concept where you are building to simply outlast your opponent is definitely an interesting thought because that is originally how I thought Deathwing for Dark Angels were to be built, where they just go, now nah, we're just not going to die and we're going to go stand on buttons and be grumpy and not score super high. And then their secondaries ended up playing into that idea where they could also score super high and be grumpy and stand on buttons. But 
defensive 40k is definitely an idea where if you just bring the most durable things in your army and you just don't want to die it'll make your opponent frustrated it'll make your opponent react incorrectly to something and overcommit and then you just take that and you end up scoring like 75 points anyway yeah, maybe that's it. There are quite a few factions that can score without leaving their deployment zone. So I'm like me. So you're playing defensively intense as it on the table, but it's still going to be a high scoring game. So I was just trying to put that together in my head as I was looking at <laughs> getting the you know the crawler on ESPN there showing the football scores, and I'm like, huh, how do I explain this in 40k terms? What happened at this one game? Well, like one army that's theoretically good at that kind of idea is actually Necrons when they take Purge the Vermin. Because at the end of your first turn, no one's going to be in your deployment zone unless you're demons and then you can teleport screamers. But yeah, no one's going to be in your deployment zone at the end of your turn usually. So it's an automatic point. And unless you're opponent is super fast and pre-game moves into other corners, you'll most likely get three points on your first turn. And at that point, you can just go, I'm going to let you exist in two corners and I'm going to shoot you out of one of them. So that way I get three points for five turns. That's an automatic 15. That's true. So overall, so let's go into our games a little bit. Uh, Ray, you want to start with your game one? Um. Yeah. So. <laughs> my game one. I went up against a Deathwing list. Speaking of grumpy old men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So, you know, we're talking. I'll bring up the list real quick. So, like, a Librarian and Terminator armor. I'm not going to go through everything, but... Primaris Kaplan, Captain, Infil uh, Redemptor, Dreadnought, Infiltrators, uh, a, a Dev Squad, and, of course, Belial, and lots and lots of various Deathwings. So, when I found out I was going up against Deathwing, I, I faced a Deathwing list once before, and they basically sat in their backfield and did absolutely nothing. Mm. So, you know, keeping in mind the kind of secondaries I had available playing Necrons, I'm like, okay, I'm all right with that. So, um, I went with, uh, I, I'd call them my, de my default three, which is Purge of the Vermin, the Treasures of Aeons, and Ancient Machineries. And I'm like, okay, all I, if they sit back, I'm going to win this game. And, I mean, my first turn, I had an early lead, getting a total of uh, 10 points at the end of turn one, uh, when they only got one. The problem began with turn two, though. Well, I was able to get eight points primary. My opponent got 
uh, 12. And they, uh, he proceeded to get 12 for the rest of the game as he did not sit back and do it uh, and just stay in place. He would take his objective secured terminators, get them onto a objective, and proceed to keep me from being able to score because basically when I'd get on there, he'd take out whatever I had with uh, the exception of a, two objectives, basically. <laughs> right. Um, the game ended at 78 points for me and 99 points for him. That's still a really high loss overall, though. Yeah, and it I, admittedly, it had been my my first game in a month and a half. So, yep, definitely can't knock you for that, because I know my my history with Deathwing in multiple armies is definitely <laughs> coin flips. Insert eye-twitching meme here. Because otherwise I'd wound everything on twos, and you fail your invul and I kill you. Oh, I can only wound you on fours. Fine. <laughs> Grumpy about it. Some of the some of the army combos we're seeing out there, I was just, just insane amount of durability for certain units. I'm kind of like, bring on the Votan, <laughs> so they can take these things out. <laughs> oh, Magna Rail! I do twelve damage. I kill four Terminators. Bye bye. But no, that is definitely a a really slow playing matchup of Necrons into into Deathwing, because if they walk forward you have a hard time shifting them. If you move forward, if they try to shift you, you have a potential of standing back up and just going, yeah, no, we're, we're just going to stand here all game. Thank you. Mm. I, my game plan kind of, kind of floundered because it was early in the morning and I hadn't played into Necrons in forever with custodes. Cause I've been playing a lot of Knights. My Knights could have handled the game a little bit better. I think because of the volume of shots and forcing you to take saves. But the the Custodes matchup, it was great. There's nine Wraiths, two Catans, the King, like two Immortals. It, it was all like three or four wound stuff, and most of it was tough cookies. So my game plan to sit back and let him come to me wasn't going to work out because he was playing into that where... He could walk up and touch my buttons because nothing in my custodes army is obsec. So my palace had an objective stolen from it by a unit of scarabs. <laughs> so now nah, my game plan changed from I have to sit back here and shoot him off of an objective to hold more. So that way I could also scan score stand vigil to I need to be over on his side of the table because he's automatically getting 15 points for Purge the Vermin if I don't do anything. So my turn three was where the game finally went into the toilet because I jumped into a combat with Wraiths, Tutris into Catans, trying to push him off an objective 
which I did push him off an objective at the cost of a couple of bikes. But then his Catans luckily whiffed their attack rolls and bounced off my invulns. Um, but my the swing back didn't do as much. So on a turn where I should one or both Catan, I killed zero. If I had killed both, I would have been able to shove my bike deeper into his deployment zone and into potentially another quarter to slow him down from scoring. But overall, not a not a bad game. Just a, a bad pick of a secondary, because otherwise my other two secondaries I got I got some points for banners and I got some points for no prisoners because Necrons just generate that like a lot. <laughs> yeah they do. But yeah, no, my, my round one was okay. Sounds good. I will say there was a very interesting um, realization one that I learned when it came to uh, Purges of Vermin, and that was in my first round. At one point, I had a unit of uh, Deathwing Knights. They were in my half of the table, but because it was a two-man unit, and there was one model in each table quarter. I was still able to get the points for not there not being a unit in those table quarters because holy, it's a thing. <laughs> yeah, Deathwing Knights are definitely a hard cookie to crack. But yeah, so I think with that we're good to move on to round two. And I'll, I'll go ahead and get mine over with. Uh, <laughs> I got paired into Imperial Knights. <laughs> I, I blew that one out of the water by 60 points. <laughs> Again, I don't knock the guy for trying because Imperial Knights, when they're able to give minus one damage to their armagers, does get really annoying. Plus the feel no pain that House Tyrannus had. But when I'm th constantly throwing D3 plus 3, D3 plus 3, D3 plus 3, flat 3, and just going, your knights are going to topple over at some point. <laughs> so, yeah, I maxed out Bring It Down in two turns. <laughs> uh, and then otherwise, yeah, that, that game went pretty handily in my favor just because, again, bad dice rolls on for my opponent. And it was not a bad game, to say the least, because the funny moment was for the first two turns, well, my first two turns, because I went first, my opponent only failed three out of 12 five-up and vulnerable saves. Wow. Yeah, so I sat there and I just, hmm. <laughs> there should be two knights dead on my first turn. There are zero. <laughs> Yeah, not much I can do about the die rolls at this point. So going into uh, game three, this is always the, the pivotal one. Me as a judge always braces for impact. It seems like where all the fun and jovialness from the early two rounds is now completely gone. And everybody's out for blood to try and get themselves into the finals for next week. Or uh, next day. So. I say, Eric, you, you skipped over Ray's game two. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Eric. You're welcome. Sorry about that. 
I put me on a chess <laughs> clock here. <laughs> little, little attention buzzer. <laughs> yeah. So, um, my round two, I went up against a guy who decided to bring the uh, Skitari veteran cohort. And he, uh, he admitted it was his first tournament. And I, I, I kind of tell fairly quickly. Um, so he, he was uh, kind of smart in that he proceeded to basically hide all of his units where I wouldn't have been able to shoot anything. Granted, I only have one unit that can actually shoot far. Um, I managed to get the first turn, so with my pre-game movement and following movement, I was actually able to max out Treasure of the Aeons and pull off an Ancient Machineries and, of course, three points for Purge the Vermin, which was very easy to do. Um, and then the all four turns that I could get the primary, I proceeded to max out on all of them. Because he mostly because he decided he was just going to hide back. Um, mm-hmm. I, I kind of made a point to tell him that, hey, you're you're being too defensive. I'm getting a lot of points here very quickly. But uh, by the time he finally decided to come out and try to fight, it was a little too late. I mean, he didn't start really getting point a decent amount of points until turn three, and that was still only the primary. It uh, ended up as a 90 to 48 victory for me. Big ol' solid win. Can definitely ride that to the bank. Yep. So like I said, now we roll into game three. So Ray, tell us about your third game. Alright, uh, my... Th- my third game was uh, against a fellow member of Smite Club, Aaron, playing a uh, Blood Angels list. Which, So I've never played against the Blood Angels list, and his list, it really caught me off guard. Not only did I, I, I come to the realization that um, I didn't know what to expect for a Blood Angels list, but um, I literally could do nothing to stop him. <laughs> um, so his list is uh, an incursor and an infiltrator squad, so he could have some some of his own moving forward before the game really begins, and then an intercessor squad, and then everything else is either um, Death Company Marines or Sanguinary Guard. Oh, and of, and of course, Assault Marines. So lots of stuff that can move very fast. And uh, two eliminator squads and a whirlwind. So... My game looked kind of abysmal. Uh, it also did not help that this particular mission, it was a hold two, hold more. A hold, hold, excuse me, hold two, hold three, hold more. And... Mm-hmm. I am not very good at those missions at all. So, 
My secondaries were a little haphazard. In fact, I only got four points total for Purge of the Vermin the whole game. Go figure. I really probably should not have taken that secondary in this instance. Um, Treasure of Aeons. I got eight points total. A little off and on. My biggest issue was I couldn't keep units on the table. Because the moment he had a unit come in contact with them, they were pretty much gone after the uh, assault phase. Uh, after he, the assault phase, yeah. Um, yeah, just turned into metal powder. Yeah, and I got ancient machineries off once. Again, I probably should have picked different secondaries. Um, but seeing as how I hadn't played against Blood Angels before at all, I, I kind of went with the secondaries that I I knew. Okay. Um, and of course, when it came to primaries, I only got um, a whole four points, and that was in the final turn. So that was a loss uh, for me. I had 30, and he got 86. Well, you still kept 14 points away from him. That's that's no small feat with, but I mean, losing that bad against Blood Angels, duh. It is definitely a punch straight in the mouth. Yeah. Yeah. My my third round, I I felt really bad because this was a custodes veteran of myself versus a custodes junior. That was my opponent. Uh, I beat him ninety seven to eighteen. <laughs> wow. So. I, I don't blame him. He was also a new guy to tournaments. He was also a new guy to custodes. And he brought the classic brick, like a handful of Sagittarium Trajan, some bikes, some dreadnoughts. Like, generally, like, oh, these things are really good. We're going to try and make these things work. And I just looked at him and went, okay. <laughs> so the only points I missed in that entire mission was round two on Stand Vigil when we ended up holding the same number of objectives at the end of his turn because he went second. So, yeah, that was... I, f I hope he learned some tips and tricks off of me on how to r like move custodes around and how to maybe do something. I That game was definitely so hard to learn stuff from because there was no clear thing of him um, like what he did wrong, but otherwise nothing super important in game three. And I think we have a frog on the channel, guys. I heard it too. Sorry, it's choked on something. I'll try to edit that part out. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Eric. We will speed this up for you because you've probably had a long day. I'm all good. No, so, it just reminds me of the episode where Eric fell asleep while we were recording. <laughs> that was pretty funny. I mean, when when you have a long after you run a long event and you have a day of work afterwards, <laughs> that can make things happen. But as Eric did point out, going into day two is when you have the field actually separated into who's going to actually go the distance and some of those that aren't. So, we'll get my run for it done out of the way. I lost 88-33 to 33 against Chaos Knights. That was not fun. How does that happen? <laughs> well, to give, you an, to give you an idea, 
I picked up four war dogs on my first turn. Because I just blew them up and I was able to make charges. Mm-hmm. Next turn, I only killed two. But after turn two, I lost all of my bikes. <laughs> so that's what happened. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, it was... It was just a rough time of not being able to I misdeployed against him when I I deployed too far behind a building when I should have crowded the building with more things so that way he would have had a harder time getting shots because if I crowded the building even with touching it and having my lances behind window edges he still would have had a hard time drawing line of sight to any of my bike lances so it was just a deployment error that got me mainly. Otherwise, that game would have been real different because then I would have been able to dedicate all 12 of my bikes up and over the building and just go, yeah, I see your entire army and just and just hit stuff. Raymond, how about your fourth game? So my fourth game was against a, another Blood Angels player. Um... So I did. I did do better this time around. I had a. It was a very similar list, although there were a few. There were a few differences. Um, for instance, he instead of a whirlwind, my opponent had a redemptor dreadnought. Um, and uh, probably because of that, I, I still stuck with my my main three secondaries. But I did much better with him this time. <laughs> um, I was also able to actually get primary points because this was a hold one, hold two instead of a hold two, hold three. So, and this was actually, as far as my losses go this weekend, this was the closest one. Um, at the end of it, I was I did lose, but I lost only two by only two points. And it, it really was the difference between whether or not I could have taken a, him off of one objective before his before the one of the turns where he maxed out or even, you know if I could have gotten him off of one of the objectives on any of the other turns. Yeah, two points. You're gonna be replaying that game in your mind for uh, weeks. Where could mm-hmm. I have found two more points? Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. In all honesty, if I could have managed to get one more Ancient Machineries off, it would have been a completely different story. Because then I would have been ahead by two instead. So, what about your round five there, Ray? My round five? Uh, yep. Alright. Uh, so my round five was against an, another member of Fight Club. And, and when I saw that I was going up against him, I actually got kind of excited because I'm like, oh, I've seen him playing Gene Steeler Cult. I've never gone up against a Gene Steeler Cult. This could be exciting. <laughs> and then I proceed to get to the table and look at what, at what he's got on his uh, board and realize, oh, it's Blood Angels again. <laughs> and from seeing what he had played, it's, oops, all Sanguinary Guard. <laughs> yes. So, um... 
I played three Blood Angels lists in a row. Big thing they all had in common was, in fact, Sanguinary Guard. The uh, once again, it was in this case, it was I'd say about ninety-five percent what I went up against an Aaron, against Aaron, and um, because Yoshi's a good player, he gets practice with a lot of us, including Aaron. It was, once again, a much harder game. Um, so, I actually thought to myself, hey, I'm going to switch this up um, because of the mission layout. It would be basically impossible for me to get points for um, one of my normal secondaries. Hold on one second. <coughs> Sorry. Um, which, now I'm blanking the name of that secondary one. Um, the tre uh, Treasures of Aeons. Because this particular mission, there were five objectives in the... Basically, all the objectives were No Man's Land. Yeah, so, scouring. Yeah. And since when it comes to Treasures of the Ants, the opponent gets to pick. He'd pick the three that were closest to him, which were also the ones that were almost impossible for me to get, especially considering, once again, so many Sanguinary Guard and... Um, Death Company with jetpacks. So I decided to instead opt for, hey, maybe I'll try Purge the Vermin. It seems like maybe I can get the points there. Or, um, I'm sorry, not, not, uh, not Purge the Vermin. It was, um, my mind blanked on me. It was, uh, no prisoner, I'm sorry. So this was, this was another very, uh, fairly low scoring game for me. Although I still, I did score better than against Aaron. Uh, I lost this particular match, uh, 39 to 97. Yeah. It is definitely hard to fight back the tide of blood angels and how efficiently they can just score you from the top of round one with how aggressive they can be. Yeah. My my game five, uh, I finally ran into a Smite Club member. Oh uh, no, second Smite Club member. That's right. I played Andrew round two. <laughs> I haven't seen Andrew in forever because he'd been away at um, ATC with the guys and everything. So I was like, oh yeah, no, I played Andrew. That's who the round two was. Uh, but round five was against Mark Follows and his Imperial Knights. That game was really rough for Mark. I beat him eighty-eight to fifteen. Again, how is that possible? So, it was a, a missed appointment for for Mark. He had he immediately noticed it after he after I started my first turn, where he had some free blade armagers that were meant to be tar pit armagers deployed ahead of his not so important ones, because he had already written off like two armagers in my first turn because he knew how much high damage shooting I had but I I took advantage of a little pocket that between his building my rock and my other little building I had made for 
my for all 12 of my bikes for Constantine, my banner and a palace able to fit back there and still be able to see things. Yeah. I I killed two armagers in the first turn. I killed another four on turn two. And then I killed three more armagers on... Well, no, I killed an armager and I think a big knight or something on turn three. And it just... It no longer mattered. He was left with big knights and he... He scored a zero on primary because this was whole... Because he could never leave his deployment zone and I blasted him off of objectives. Yeah, it was not not fun for Mark at all. Sorry to hear that. So, but yeah, you know, sometimes you run into those matchups. You just kind of have to grin and bear it and get through it. Yep. But my my last round of the event was against an army that I hadn't seen in a while, and that is Thousand Sons. Thousand Sons was an interesting matchup because he had twenty Terminators, Magnus, Demon Prince, Armin, Infernal Master, and twenty Cultists and three Spawn. Two or three spawn. I and one unit of rubrics. That's right. So, yeah, that one was okay. Either I shoot at Magnus or I shoot at Terminators. Which one do I hate more? Well, he went first, and I know you walked by Eric, and you were a little confused at my deployment, just like, huh, 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 huh what? <laughs> like, what's up with this? Because. Yeah, so this was another interesting situation where you know you're trying to be the passive judge, and something we stressed in the player packet, you don't want to intercede. But the the strange thing was, both players, both you and your opponent, had your ruins within the back edge of the ruin pipe was within six inches of your table edge, and the I think there was only what some crates and maybe a forest at center field. It was almost like you guys set it up for it. First person who step in the middle is going to die. So I didn't know if that was on purpose or not. <laughs> well, again, that was going off of the setup in the packet where it was four inches from the table edge and four inches from everything else. Oh, I'm so not that's... saying it was like place illegal. I just thought it was weird that then we put a you know whoever went first to place a terrain didn't put a ruin to block the line of sight through the middle, <laughs> and um, didn't really seem it was just wide open. I was like, oh my, that's oh, gonna be yeah. No, that was I was the defender in that game, mm -hmm. so I I in fact set it up so that way because it was tied to conviction. I could easily pivot my entire army to one side and go, yeah, I can shoot down this entire lane here. Actually, no, I think I was attacker. Either um, easy enough to look at because I have the record here, but yes, it was very much a, oh yeah, no, my opponent was the defender and my opponent went first. So my opponent set up his big building to cover his army. And that's when I went, have some crates. And there's a forest, and there's my rock. And literally, I set it up so that way I could just see down the center field to shoot at his entire army as soon as it walked out of a building. That makes a little more sense. There we go. Yeah. So it was. I think it was because my opponent was probably wasn't ed, wasn't versed in player place terrain that he accidentally set up a shooting lane for me because he put one building over there he put another building in the corner and he didn't really give himself an out to hide behind whereas going to thousand sons i knew that in order for me to win this game 
I would either have to be the aggressor and shove all my bikes down his throat and know I was going to lose like three or four of them on the way. Or I set up little hidey holes for me to hop and skip from. So that way he doesn't, he has to come out to do his psychic powers against me. Yeah, he, he was not exactly, he didn't exactly pay attention that it was a whole tooth hold two three and more mission either because he threw Armin forward he walked cultists out to an objective and then he pulled Armin back to the home objective to be covered by Magnus and cultists and stuff so I just flew out and I went oh you only have one cultist blob over there hurricane bolters kill it <laughs> And his Terminators were in a building that wasn't on the objective. So. Okay, I guess. But yeah, that was. uh, From turn two onwards, I essentially just commanded the table against Thousand Sons. Because I killed Magnus on turn. Three, I think I killed. Yeah, I killed Demon Prince on turn two. I call I killed Armin on turn two. I killed let's see, I killed six Terminators on turn one. I killed ten Terminators in on turn two. And then yeah, basically after that his army just couldn't do anything to me. <laughs> yeah, my game three was rather interesting. Wow. In the fact that I just commanded Thousand Sons to do nothing. <laughs> Who needs a space wolf player then, right? Um, bark, bark, woof, woof. <laughs> and what about your last game, Ray? So, my last game, I went up against uh, Christopher playing Tal. This was, uh, at this point, I was a little tired. <laughs> Never played a six-round event before, and I'm like, all right. Uh, let's just have some fun until I get to find out and see what people, what, you know, how everybody else did. So, relaxed, had a, just, you know, played a game. At that point, I didn't even care about my standings. It's like, I'm going to, I'll try to, I'm going to try to win, but just get everything done with and enjoy having gone to the tournament. Um, so it was, uh, tatted conviction. So hold two, hold three. I already knew it was going to be hard getting primaries there. I stuck with my usual three secondaries again. Um, and did fairly good. Uh, my opponent went with decisive action, a clean victory, and aerospace targeting relays. So, in the end, while he... He, um... Managed to, you know, do better than me when it came to the primary. I was able to do better in secondaries. Um, and one thing that really helped me was during the fifth round, he decided that he was going to move a bunch of his characters that he had holding his uh, backfield objective. He moved them off so that he could try to angle one of 
a couple of his characters to shoot at my Silent King. Well, I was able to get my Ophidian destroyers that were slowly chasing the slowly chasing those characters onto that objective by the fifth round. So I was able to get um, six points for overrun there. And on top of that, in what he, in doing so, what he ended up doing is with I was at the bottom of the turn. Um, he moved his guys off of all of the objectives, but one. And uh, I had three of the objectives before I got the um, fitting destroyers on there. So that gave me a hold two, hold three, hold more at that point. Um, between that big move for me and uh, being able to get a fair number of points on secondaries. Um, for the record, I got 10 on Purge, 10 on tr uh, Treasure Veons, and 8 on Ancient Machineries. I was able to plot a victory of 68 to 50, making it my second one of the weekend. Whoop whoop. Conquer the Tau Menace. <laughs> my problem, Ray, it's one of your best showings ever, isn't it? This is absolutely my best showing ever. Um, so up to this point, I was always at best a what I what I call a one and X player, which is I got one win and I'd lose every other game. And in fact, usually it would be that very last game would be the game that I'd win. Um, so with uh, this, I mean, for, first off, I don't remember how well points were in the past anyway, but when it came to me getting points, I, this is the best I've done. And when it came to my overall win-loss record, this is the best I've done. So, I this was a great weekend as far as you know, my tournament career goes. Yeah, this it was definitely nice to see you be able to make it out. And it is still always a shame that you don't get to play as often, Eric. But, yep, yeah, it was definitely a good event for most, if not all of us. So I'll just do a quick uh, rundown on the final table, which was an interesting path for both players. Uh, Jason Flanzer uh, was bringing Necrons, was Silent King flanked by a ton of Destroyers and a ton of uh, Warriors, and I want to say he had... Can't remember now off the top of my head if he had immortals or, or warriors in there as well. So I, I can list off his entire list for you because I yeah, played him round that. one. Excellent. So he had the Silent King, two Transcendent Catans, two units of Tomb Blades, one unit of Immortals. So I thought I remember he had or, something mixed or in there. two units of Immortals. I know <laughs> he had like a minimum squad, but he had three units of three wraiths. He had one unit of three heavy destroyers, two units of one heavy destroyers, a plasmancer, and a technomancer. And then like two units of scarabs. <laughs> Starting to see a comeback of the scarabs. So Jason was following that, and he had uh, worked his way up to the rankings pretty good. Uh, he actually was in a GT just two weeks ago, so that he was actually running in his store. So it was interesting to see. Uh, the folks from 
that uh, team making a splash here at uh, our tournament. Meal on the other end of things, uh, Dan Olivas, who has been tearing up. He uh, won the Long Beach Open just a few uh, weeks ago, and he brought a all-clown list. Um, I don't know, Robert, you have that one handy as well, but... Um, oh, you bet I do, because I have fast, clicky fingers. Look at that. <laughs> so... In fact, it is a chat. So he is playing Twilight. So the one that people people thought everyone was bad. I can English today. So we have Shadow Seer. We have two troop masters. We have one little squad of troop, one gigantic squad of troop, two more little two. No, not two. Four more squads of troop. He has the whole fixins of a whole bunch of clowns. A Death Jester, a Solitaire, two, three Void Weavers. Yep, total of three. And then one, two, three, four, five star beavers and the webway gate. So one of the things just seeing the way this army really I think Dan definitely has a chip on his shoulder. He had one he won Long Beach. Uh Goonhammer does a kind of our own we can review very similar to this show. And what they've been doing lately is they do with the matchup of the week. And when they go, here's the two armies going into it. Here are their strengths. Here are the weaknesses. Here's the mission they have to go into. And they kind of make a prediction. And then at the end of the article, they tell you what happened. And rather than saying, Dan did a great job, they basically said, we have no idea how the other guy lost. And <laughs> so Dan was out to prove it, that this wasn't a fluke. That he And so sure enough, he um, just... One of the things is we've talked about this before, especially with uh, more fragile armies like Harlequins. You really have to attack on your terms, and the precision in which he did that just uh, at times, like within six inches of each table edge, just forcing you know the only the edges to be in combat, and just and he has enough of the uh, attacks on each of his weapons, especially his solitaire as well. Just pick up a unit. And um, mm -hmm. so he was like, you just remove armies in chunks. And um, and it yeah. was uh, unfortunately not the most uh, exciting final, but uh, Dan ended up taking the event. Yeah, my my one my last game against Dan before I switched over to my flying circus of bikes. My unit of size Sagittarium was immediately zeroed out as the main threat because it had enough dice to chew through his units, given I could actually hit and wound and make him fail saves because of the sheer number of dice. And then shortly after that was my Hurricane Bolter bikes that I still had. Dan made a clear point that if you come within like 11 inches of the Webway Gate, if he has the 11-man troop squad coming out of there, whatever you have next to that gate is just going to die. Because of the fact that he comes in, he charges, he murders you, and then he looks at you and laughs. Because there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> Although he laughs very politely and explains why that worked. <laughs> so, Dan's army is probably the epitome of brute-forcing math while having your pinky out and drinking tea. Because <laughs> it, it finesses in a way, it's a finesse army in the fact that you aren't sure what to do and what to target and how to deploy. Because I was aware that if I deploy within the within range of this webway gate, stuff's going to come out of it and it's going to kill my army and then it's going to proceed walk through me. So it forces me to 
deploy on one side of the table, which then Dan can focus fire on that. And if I come forward, he has more than enough troop squads to tar pit me, send in the solitaire to pick up a character. He has the death jester that can make me not be able to fire overwatch, which can be huge when he sends in the like any combination of five man troop to just go wing, 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 and just pick up model by model by model and not really care. So it's, I think it's more of a showing of Dan's player level in the fact that he can shove his clowns where they need to go, how he wants them to be there. And not a lot of people can prepare to block him out in such a way. Because I think one of his troop masters has like the really crazy ability to just go like 2d6 plus 8 inches on the charge or d6 plus 8 on an advanced roll or something like that. I don't remember all the Eldar abilities off the top of my head. So if anyone has learned how to finesse an army, it has definitely been Dan. Yes, it's a really impressive uh, game to watch and to see how it all played out. So I kind of spent a little more time trying to watch that as I was in between some of the rules questions. And I'm trying to think, there was another army of note. Oh, yes. So just on some of the hobby side of things, um, for those of you who have been saying that 40k hobby is dead and uh, all the hobbyists play Age of Sigmar now, uh, not true. Although the Age of Sigmar side of our, our uh, hall had quite some amazing models. Uh, Tommy Lamb brought a Chaos Knight list. We've heard this before. No, you've not seen anything like this. These were orcs who wanted to pilot Chaos Knights. Every knight was a salvage job from a different faction to form it into a knight. It was amazing. Yeah, I saw that one. I saw the Storm Surge. I saw him take a, a Castellan or a Tyrant or something like that. I didn't get to see the other knights in his list, but I was just like, yeah, no, nah, my Chaos Knights ain't going to be anything like that. That thing's amazing. <laughs> and then the, uh, I believe his name was, yes, it was Chris Bonner who brought the uh, Tau display board. Curves are incredibly hard to make. Compound curves are even harder. And he had figured out a great way to make these towel buildings. So his towel really stood out on this thing. It was, it was a really amazing looking board. Uh, a really cool job. It was really nice to see. Um, Robert, if you could pull up uh, Mark Whitaker's list, that's another one. People are like, how does this thing work? And he had a really strong showing this week with his world eaters list. Ah, Yes. The man of the red path himself, who could yell throughout the hall, and you could find him anywhere on the premises. Mm-hmm. And boy, did he! Oh yes, I was tempted to respond as the red path do, but I am not a corn worshiper this day. So, his world leaders list, which is still currently a white dwarf, essentially, is a Terminator Lord with the with like a combi melta and exalted power axe which turns into Garfather, aka this thing hits you and it does a crap ton of mortal wounds a couple of warp smiths some cultist blobs one minimum unit of berserkers a unit of three scary scary spawn um a unit of raptors there are some flamers in there bolt pistols blah 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 blah, blah. they're raptors 
they get a whole bunch of text. He has a Venom Crawler. The Venom Crawler can be spooky. That thing has a 36-inch range gun. And then we get to all the fun stuff. He has a Land Raider with a Twin Heavy Bolter and some Last Cannons. Two Vindicators, his tried and true Vindies. Ah, I've blown up those things so many times, and it's never not satisfying. And then a whopping super heavy auxiliary detachment of a Corn Lord of Skulls. Yeah, the Tonka Truck of Doom was quite popular this weekend. Yes, yes, it is. I had one chance to play against it on Labor Day when I went over to his house, and I got to play my Chaos Knights. Ooh, buddy, I scared Mark by playing Lord of Skulls go from three to three wounds. <laughs> <laughs> that was a feat, but the Lord of, the Lord of Skulls did not die <laughs> until much later. And even then, I had already lost the game because I lost so many nights and I jammed myself in a parking lot. But yes, Mark's list is definitely something out of his brain because it like the shots out of the Vindicators and the Land Raiders are both really scary into big, heavy, durable things. A lot of his stuff can get a high enough number of attacks with a decent strength for it to be actually kind of scary for some armies. Like, I think the Raptors can get a whole bunch of attacks. Obviously, the Berserkers can get a decent amount, but it is definitely the work of proper positioning with the Vindicators and the Land Raider and then the Lord of Skulls just kind of being the, you can either deal with my entire army or you can deal with this thing. Pick one. Because if you deal with one, you can't exactly deal with the other. So, a lot of really interesting uh, lists out there. A lot of uh, key... just parts of the meta but it's also pretty well diversified um but uh, kind of going over some of the other notable players that made it into event uh, of course ben jurek made the trip well i'm glad to see him there uh hopefully i have to have a chance to check a look at the points we'll do that in a little bit see if he had enough points to take over first place as best work player um so mentioned flancer but also the uh, xenos petting zoo made an appearance uh got the car and made the road trip so it was really cool to see uh uh, the crew and Jason McKenzie ended up taking best overall. Uh, he finished in the top five and then had just an amazing paint job on his army. So it was just really cool to see that as well. He had this purple and white Adeptus Mechanicus army that was, it just glowed off the table. It just was so clean and so precise with all his edges and all the robes had the um, uh, teeth, you know, teeth pattern along the sides. It was just really wild to see. And by the way, uh, every Adeptus Mechanicus army had as many chicken walkers as they could carry. So, <laughs> so Eric, on yeah. your note about Ben Jurek being close to number one orc player, mm -hmm. he is short by just over 30 points. It's a few grots short. He can make it up. He can still do it. Yep. <laughs> if he has scored any higher in the loss that he had at this event and a little bit higher in his fifth round at this event, there's a pretty good chance he would have taken it by at least a point. Uh -huh. You can still get it done. Yes, so congrats to everyone that placed in the top 10 finish of, Sm well, top 5 of Smite Club. The Smite Club Open because it is one of the largest events that happened that weekend. And, yeah, after doing the math, we had 73 people sign up. We had 58 people by the end of it. 
yeah, actually uh, 68 on day one. So that was pretty nice to see such a low attrition when it comes to uh, just no-shows and drops. And, um, and then as the day progressed, uh, a couple more people just began to drop out during the week. But, um, yeah, we have now officially the largest event in Arizona history. So we're very excited about that. So uh, taking a quick look, um, I can tell you just there has been quite a few changes in the ITC top 10. So finally, some of the other uh, larger tournaments finally got their scores in. Uh, our scores are already in. I thought that was kind of interesting. So uh, Dan Olivas uh, got into the top 25, so we're very excited to see that. But your top 10 looks something like this. Anthony Vanilla holding down the 10th spot. New name, Kit smith Hanna coming in ninth place. Uh, eighth place, Bretton Weiss. Seventh place, uh, Stephen Crawley. Another new name in the top. Innis Wilson drops to sixth place. Thomas Ogden still holding down the fifth spot. And then the uh, triumvirate of Brits uh, all took a step back. Uh, Manny Chima in fourth. Vic Vijay in third. David Gaylord in first. Uh, so in second, excuse me. So our new first place player is Jack Harpster. With, so making a huge leap forward there. So just also kind of like, where are they now type thing. Uh, Brad Chester drops down to 11th. John Lennon down to 12th. Colin McDade's down at 5th, uh, 15th. Uh, Anthony Birdsong down to 16th. Marshall Peterson down at 17th. Mike Porter drops only down to 19th. And the terror of the Midwest, uh, Ben Cherwin, is only down to 21st. So, um, yeah, a bit of a shakeup there. And uh, meanwhile, we see some other players. Uh, we mentioned Dan Olivas moving up to 25, and Matt Morisoli, with a couple big wins in Australia over the last three weeks, is uh, climbed into the 24th spot. So suddenly, what seemed to be six to eight weeks of no movement and just begin to wonder, does it really matter? Can we just play LVO and call it a, a season? It kind of a little exciting here all of a sudden as we come down the home stretch. Yep, I think the bartender finally went, huh, oh, oh. Oh, I have to make margarita. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a couple, you know, this, yeah, big, so we're going to have to do a big update for our expanded st um, standings later this week. But um, yeah, a whole lot of changes with a lot of those events finally coming in. So nice to see that. And um, yeah. So overall, really excited with the event. Uh, great to see all old friends, make some new friends. Uh, really nice to see. Oh, uh, other army I thought was interesting was uh, at least two, maybe three Gene Steeler cult armies. Uh, yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, that was surprising to see. And um, so it was really cool. Interesting enough, um, I was the only Drukari player, and I was only there in case we needed a backup ringer. So... <laughs> So nobody's playing Drukari, which I thought was interesting as well. They were such a terror earlier in the year. And Honestly, until uh, the, around the end of the, the tournament, I didn't realize that there were any thousands of players there. There were a few, actually. And um, that's also this high mortal wound output uh, armies. It was really interesting yeah. to see them. So there, there was actually one Dark Eldar player there this event. It was a local guy by the name of Jason Peck. He oh, themed, that's right. Yep, him and his Mars attacks Drakari's coven. <laughs> that Murphy was so insane looking. Is that what faction that was? Yes, it was specifically up like a 
Coven's thing. So he had like the the flying saucers. I think were the equivalent of his taluses, yeah. Chronoses, and stuff like that. It was such a neat thing because I've seen his Zinch stuff before. I'm just like, ah, oh, I need to see the Mars attack stuff. I had seen the Mars attacks before. <clears throat> I forgot that he was running a Mastercari gap. It was really cool, and the display board was really cool too as well. So he had like a street scene from right out of the movie. It was pretty cool. Uh, now I need to step up my display board game, and it's going to be rough. God dang it. Yeah. Right. Um, go ahead. Go, go ahead, Ray. <clears throat> so, so I, as much as I hate to admit it, this is also the first time I've gone to a tournament with a, a fully painted army. Granted, there was there's still room for improvement on it. Oh, yeah. Um, Actually seeing, like, okay, well, there, here, here's points. I'm like, oh, maybe I actually should try to put some work into this after all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there were a number of really well-painted armies that just didn't have display boards, and the display board on the ITC Rubik uh, for painting scores is uh, four or five points. So, probably, well, it's four or five points. Yeah, well, out of twenty-five, it's a good chunk. It's about twenty percent of your total score. So that it's um, that really hurt quite a few people. And give you an idea, our top five, or actually our top seven, was only separated by four points. Uh, from number one all the way to number seven, so there was plenty of opportunity there. If you if you missed out on a display board, you probably missed out on some points. So it was it was pretty. So get out there, and um, they're not hard to make, um, but uh, simple scenes are really easy to do. Yep. Now, now, if you're like Derek Page, holy crap, that's a yeah. lot of work. Yeah. Yeah, for those who have not seen this, so Derek actually uh, mounts his army on one of those like rolling cart type things, and he was playing a knights list. I can't remember. I'm pretty sure they're imperial knights. And no, he was playing chaos knights. Was he play- Okay, so he was playing chaos knights this time around. And uh, the display board is basically the repair hub for all of them. So all bridges they come out on, the cranes along the side, and the whole thing. It every one of the knights has uh, some LED lights in it. It's pretty amazing. So really nice job. Mm-hmm. So, uh, moving forward, uh, we're looking forward to Scorched Earth. It'll be in February of 2023. We'll have more updates as we get closer to that event. Uh, it is directly after uh, LVL, so it actually be one of the first big events of the uh, 2023 ITC season. So, it'll be pretty interesting to see. And um, we also be curious at that point, are we going to have a new mission set? on January 1st, uh, or is Games Workshop just going to roll Nephilim through uh, until the July and the much-rumored uh, 10th edition drops? Who knows? Maybe we'll see. Yeah, lots to uh, think about there. And then in case you missed it, uh, this weekend, uh, this Saturday, you can pre-order Leagues of Otan. Yay, Space Dwarfs. Or some people say the the original Space Marines, <laughs> <laughs> the ones with just better armor of contempt. Let's all be real here. <laughs> they're they're the ones who have and their actual rule set, not just a you know, a balanced data sheet. Yeah, they they are squats one point five. They do look rather impressive though, and that those weapons are. Um, Oh my! Um, 
Although I am curious to see just how effective they're going to be on the table, because I did when we when Robert and I looked at it last week, it was you're hard pressed to find anything better than AP minus two. Mm-hmm. So that army into themselves or into um, armor of contempt will be a little bit hard pressed to push through any kind of cover save. But I mean, also. I know for a fact that some people are going to probably try and spam the mag rail rule, which means they'll bring land fortresses. They'll bring as many hearthkin as they can and shove a mag rail in there. So they'll be trying to fish for them sixes. Yeah. For those who don't remember the mag rail, it's, um, I just uh, clanked off. It does a tremendous amount of damage because it's close to 68 wounds on per shot. But if you roll a 6 to wound, uh, any lost damage splashes through the rest of the unit. Yep. It is, if you roll a unmodified 6 to wound, as your opponent does actions, psychic actions, destroys League of Oten units, and one other thing? At the end of each of your opponents, so so this is the bet. This is the funniest one, because uh, it made me think of a Simpsons meme I saw. At the end of your each of your opponent's turns, you can select one enemy unit within range of an objective that they control, and they get a judgment token. Ah, so yeah, you do in fact pick a guy to say, "Hey, you, that's my lawn. Get off it." <laughs> you're you're on the battlefield. That's a judgment token. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at that point, it's thematic and funny. So, basically, if you're able to spam generating those onto your opponent until they all have three judgment tokens, because as far as I know, they don't go away at the end of the turn. So, you can literally just go, hey, I'm mad at you. I'm really mad at you. I'm exceedingly mad at you. I'm going to shoot you first. (laughs) So, that way you can maximize the all of the free to wounds that you get off of free judgment tokens. Yeah, I don't remember if they if they actually go away. I would imagine not because otherwise you would have to lose 3 units for 3 judgment tokens. Your opponent would have to perform 3 actions and or psychic actions and you would also have to have the ability to pick a unit multiple times at the end of their turn to put a judgment token on for them to just go away. So I have a feeling that the judgment tokens do not go away. Until maybe you shoot at them. But then again, once the book actually gets here, which I know as much as I want the box set, I'll probably be passing up on it because that's a little much for me to invest in at the moment. Yeah, I'm trying very hard to not buy any more factions, so uh, yeah. Yep, neither of us need more faction ADD. But yes, so I am not sure what is going to happen to Eric, because I hope he gets back and decided not to fall into the warp permanently. I don't know, I think at this point maybe we can ramble on and try to see if he pops back on. Well, I believe that is the intentional goal here. Because, <laughs> yeah, I think it is just Zencaster not playing nice with Eric's PC setup. I think it might be time for him to 
to upgrade a little bit. But no, nah, otherwise, the one army that we'll have to keep an eye on for the next month is probably Demons, because Demons is the only one that we didn't get to see play at our own event because of the fact that their codex came out just a little shy after the rules cutoff date. Yeah, we had the rules cutoff date at August 27th, and that codex came out, what, the weekend after, basically? Yeah, basically. So yeah. if if we had been able to see them populate into our player pool, then it would have definitely become a probably a very different looking field because I know more than half the players there probably would have been playing demons. Oh, I know of at least two people who said out loud that they would have been br- that if they could have they would have brought the new demons codex. Mhm. Which would have made me really, really sad with my custodes because I'd be like, all right, cool. I need to actually put my hurricane bolsters into something important now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I so one list I've been hearing a lot of talk involving it's like um, Bellacore and Scarbrand, along with a bunch of the demons. And it's like, okay, well, at that point, it's going to hurt. Well, yeah. I remember talking with um, the one. Texas guy that was able to come out, his name is TJ, and we were kind of chatting about the demon stuff. You were at the table there with me. Yeah. The The entire idea of Scarbrand is Scarbrand is very much a heat-seeking missile, where he wants to he wants to hit a unit, explode the unit, and then move on to the next one because his aura still affects everyone for, like, plus one attack, auto-pass morale, and like, whatever other crazy buffs that he gives out to every unit within like six inches of him. Yes, because corn cares not from whence the blood flows. Mm-hmm. Neither does Scarbrand. <laughs> yeah. So at that point, you'd be better off bringing just a normal like exalted bloodthirster or something like that. But the the one linchpin of every demon's idea that I've I could even think of now knowing that Bellacor has every single demon god keyword is why not only play 1,580 points of any other demon faction you want because then you can just bring Bellacore. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard uh, it doesn't matter what your kind of list you're playing when it comes to demons. If you're not bringing Bellacore, what are you doing? And again, that's pro- that's a lot of internet talk and a lot of internet hype and everything else. But the the overall problem is, is that he is 420 points. That is an investment that a lot of people have to consider. Like, oh, do I pay for Gilliman? Do I pay for Abaddon? Do I pay for Magnus, Mortarian? Blah, 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 blah. Like, yep. do I pay for this power piece of a character that if they don't do their job, my entire army just falls apart? Bellacourt doesn't have that issue because he fits into any demon theme that you want. The only demon... Only demon keyword that does not really stand out to most people is probably Nurgle. Nurgle is just really hard to shift. They are tarpity. Whereas the way that other people are playing demons, it sounds like they are playing them as an aggressive kind of idea. So you have like Bellacore, maybe Kairos Fate Weaver, like one other Bloodthirster and a Keeper of Secrets or something. And 
you just abuse the fact that the Bloodthirster is really hard to kill. Kairos is really hard to kill. The Keeper is just kind of annoying. And then you can deep strike the rest of your army, essentially wherever you want. Yeah. But yeah, it is going to be interesting seeing demons come to the foray in any kind of fashion. And I don't think we're, I think Eric's PC might have had a hard restart like it did the other week. Oh no. Yeah. Where it, it crashed and he had to do an entire reboot of it. So at that point, we we might be here for a while, right? (laughs) Yeah. I'll give him a little bit longer. We'll see what's going on. Yep. On so, the mm-hmm. Go ahead, Ray. I, I, just say, I think between um between the new Demons Codex and the um the Leagues of Votan, which yes, it's going on pre order this weekend, but it's not the full release, it is just a box set. I'm curious to see what the um overall meta is even gonna look like by the time LVO gets here. Like 'cause with um with the film and the secondaries, we saw kind of the rise of the Necrons. Now they're not dominating like Tyranids were for a, a, a while, but they're they're doing better. Um, we have we have seen that downshift of the Drukari and Tyranids, like the, compared to what we were seeing, you know, four or five months ago. I'm really curious to see how that shift is really going to go into play by that you know by the by the point where. And the film is a little bit more long in a tooth. Yeah, it's definitely a a thought process of do we see the Leagues of Otan and the demons shake up anything? Or do we see people just shift slightly into more kind of volume shooting to just add into the difference? Because I know, like, for instance, Blood Angels against Demons, they're really not going to care because they have more than enough attacks to push through Demon saves. Oh, I, yeah, and I don't doubt that a list like that isn't going to, is, isn't going to, like, slow down. <laughs> it's kind of funny, but it's not going to slow down um, until there's a list that can, one, slow down the Blood Angels, and two kill them easier mm-hmm. um but like lists like are, are, are we gonna see the death wing list die out um you know what kind of effect is are, are these two aren't um codex is gonna have on the neck what, what we see for necrons i uh, think you know think things like that yeah for because necrons right now along with sisters they are some of the best competitive armies for people that had them and then lost out on bad secondary choices. And then their secondaries got updated and now they're back into the fray with demons coming out. I have no idea what their secondaries are, mm-hmm. but the them coming in will definitely probably check sisters because Repentia will still eat whatever they touch in Bloody Rose, 
but the fact that they can play mind games with sisters and they can maybe encircle them with deep strikes or with loci like it's it's really hard to picture what demons will do to the meta whereas leagues of votan there's such a new faction that will see a huge influx of people play them oh, yeah. not like them and everyone will think they're bad and then we'll see the one person do well with like triple land fortress and the the buffed up tech marine character and then a whole bunch of troop choices as supplementary shots right but otherwise i do think the meta is going to stay relatively the same and the only thing that will change it is if we get a once again revamped mission book that everyone will have no idea what to do with. Especially that close to LVL. It's going to be kind of weird if they do that. Well, looks there like Zinch finally let you go. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> oh my god. Did your PC have to do the hard reset again? Yes, it did. So it's, I, apparently, I have a preview of the League of Votan. So. <laughs> so at that point, I think you definitely have a gremlin in your system there, Eric. You might need... Yeah, I'll have to figure this Figure this one out. And it's two weeks in a row now. I've got to figure that out. But other than that, anything else to discuss this week? No, me and Ray were just while you were fixing your stuff, we were just <laughs> talking about uh, we were talking about how the Lisa Votan and the Demons Codex may or may not shake up the meta a little bit. Because we still yeah. haven't seen any previews for guard and world eaters are still world eaters, so they're going to hit stuff real, real good. Yeah. yeah. Well, in that case, let's end to wrap things up here. Um, once again, uh, my name's Eric. I'm Raymond. I'm Robert. And thank you for listening to the Exterminatus podcast. <laughs>